When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The CLNS Media Network is powered by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. The New England Patriots lose their final uh, game of the season uh, to the New York Jets 17-3. Patriots finish the season 4-13, and uh, and really there's two stories and two stories only, and we'll spend the majority of our time here. We've been talking about them, honestly, throughout uh, and I just want to say uh, congratulations to all of you uh, who are watching right now and who will join us or watch this uh, on delay. Uh, you made it. You guys did it. You made it through this season. It wasn't easy. Uh, it was one of the, I mean, as a veteran of some really bad Patriots seasons, which I am, I remember. Uh, you just don't expect it. From this team, from a Bill Belichick coach team, and certainly not uh, with what's transpired. This is life in the NFL. It happens. It's surprising it hasn't happened before um, because this is how it goes. But it is still a shock where the Patriots, usually just based off of being the Patriots and having Bill on the sideline, are pretty much guaranteed at least eight, nine, you know, ten wins most seasons. This was a season unlike any other. So, Taylor, we'll start with you. Before we get into everything else, we know where the Patriots will be drafting. We have no idea what Bill's future is. We're going to spend a great deal of time on that. But just describe the kind of vibe there. You're going there and, like, you know, there's a dead man walking sort of kind of atmosphere here uh, with what's going on. I mean, you go through the motions, right, of, like, preparing for the game. I think a lot of people expected the Patriots would beat the Jets because they have so many times in the past. You have mm-hmm. what you would think are seemingly favorable conditions in the snow. And you've seen the team fight for Bill down the stretch here. Um, and it just was a really gross game that really puts a really sloppy, ugly bow on a brutally bad season here going out 17-3. to So what was it like, kind of the just entire vibe being down there and then obviously the press conferences and everything after? Everything with Bill, like nobody really acknowledged it. Like I, I know among us, there was definitely that feeling of this is Belichick's last game. Players did not acknowledge it, did not even like hint it. You know, they thought it might have been like there was none of that. It was really more about Matthew Slater, and that was where a lot of the emotion from the game came from. You had everybody on the field wearing their captain eighteen on their back. It's kind of funny because Matthew Slater told us this week he's like, I don't know if I'm going to retire. Seems like everybody has made the decision for me. And the Patriots did. He was on the cover of, um, you know, their game preview magazine. Like I said, the jerseys and everything. And, you know, you don't know for sure, but definitely seems like he's probably on his way out the door. The biggest thing I felt in terms of, like, what it felt like was that, you know, people were just sad to see Matthew 
you know, retire. Um, because no one's under the impression that Bill is going to retire anytime soon. Like this is his entire life. He even said he was asked after the game, um, you know, has uh, the wind been taken out of your sails after a tough season like this? He's like, no, I still love getting ready. I love uh, game planning. I love coaching. You know, he's not going anywhere in terms of the league. But obviously we know. And questions were asked to all the players. Questions were asked to Bill. Bill specifically said he was not going to mention um, – his future well, with the team, although he did acknowledge kind of weirdly, which I didn't expect. He did acknowledge that he and Robert Kraft are going to meet tomorrow. Well, let's hear it. Okay. We might as well play it. Mm -hmm. This is every, this is every ounce of everything Bill Belichick said in his post game commentary regarding the meeting. And Bill made you made us wait for it. This was an hour or so after the game. It was a long yeah. time. I actually thought there was a chance he might blow it off. Um, for one we did too. That's, that was what the rumbling was. We were like, he's not going to show up. He's, he's I thought it, he's going to be on Zoom. <laughs> I, he zoomed out on Friday, and he zoomed mm -hmm. out for tomorrow already. Um, and so I think he doesn't really want to face this music, and he doesn't want to talk about it, and he never has. Go ahead. I'll say he's sick. Like that dude is clearly he was when he started talking in his press conference. He's he had to sick. get his voice back. Like so, I don't think it. Bill's afraid of us. I think he genuinely is just very under he's, the weather. He's not afraid. It's not has nothing to do with fear. He doesn't honestly want to give the satisfaction of the mm -hmm. answers. I don't think he wants anybody's pity. Last thing he wants is mm -hmm. people like, "Hey, Bill, you did have a good run, man." And like he doesn't yeah. want and he doesn't want any of it. He just yeah. wants to do what he wants to do, and he wants the people who decide to decide it. Um, and I and I get it. I get it. Mm -hmm. I really do. Um, so this is Bill Belichick, and you're right. I mean, it's a really gravelly voice. He's obviously not doing great here. Here's mm -hmm. everything Bill had to say about his future, which is not much. Some questions on the game. Um, as far as the future goes, I'll sit down with Robert, as I do every year at some point at the end of the season, and you know we'll talk about things, as we always do. I'm sure that'll happen. Um, but that's really about all I have to say about that right now because there's nothing else to talk about. So, uh, Bill, coming off the field today, did you have any different feelings about the end of today coming off that field? Disappointed about the way the game turned out, sure. Yeah, let's leave it at that. Do you expect to be coaching the team here next year? It's disappointing the way the game finished, yeah. Bill, is it your preference to come back next season and coach the team? Yeah, so I just finished the game here with the Jets, put everything I had into it, and I'm disappointed in the results. It's our understanding that you're under contract for next year. Is it, is it your hope to come back? And I just finished the game with the Jets, Phil. It was a very, I put everything I had into it this week and try to prepare our team the best I could to play in it. Now, when you don't know what the future holds, you can't say you're on to next season or on to Cincinnati or on to the next thing. All you can say is, we just finished this game. That's all I can talk about. And look, true mm -hmm. to form, that's all Bill Belichick has ever talked about. And I don't think anybody could have reasonably expected that he was going to open up and start gushing and talking about his future or like openly beg, you know, publicly to keep his job or start to advocate for himself. That's going to get handled uh, in the coming days. Um and on it goes. So, I mean, again, Taylor, obviously, I'm not saying give your rumors or give whatever, but I mean, what's the general vibe here about Bill Belichick? I, I've been all over the map on this in my mind, just based on trying to read the tea leaves. I don't have it. I really don't. And I know 
there were reports, I know Tom, you know, Curran had reported, you know, they kind of made, you know, they've, they, they kind of decided I, I'm, you know, you know, Bedard recently wrote that, you know, sources are saying that there's still seeds of doubt, right? I don't really know. I do believe that uh, even if Kraft is strongly leaning one way, I think he's going to let Bill try to talk him out of it. I really do. Um, I think he's going to listen. And I think there's scenarios by which Bill might say things convincing enough if he were to acknowledge missteps, acknowledge where he needs help, and potentially cede some control to other people. Um, talk about, yeah, you're right. We got, we, it's got to be more emphasis on offense. I, I learned it this year. If, if he's humble and contrite, not in a bad way, not like he's begging for his job, but an actual, he's realized it. Yeah. Like, yeah. What I thought we needed, we don't, I obviously need some assistance here to do this. I'm 72 years old. I think there's a world he can convince Kraft, but what do you think? What's the vibe there? You're talking to other reporters. You're talking to sources. You're talking to people down there. What, what's your feeling? I mean, that is the gray area, really. It's how Belichick is going to handle himself. And, you know, it, I, I do think that it unanimously is understood that Robert Kraft has not made a decision and really could be swayed. I think that's pretty unanimously believed. You know, Ian Rappaport saying it. Tom Curran is saying it. Like anybody who's got real insiders who are talking to Kraft or Bill are of the same page of like, yeah, we have no idea what's going to happen. And I think that's how they're going to enter this meeting. If Bill is contrite and he decides to, you know, show some humility and say, hey, like you said, I need to take a step back. I have blind spots. And it's difficult because Bill is known for that in certain aspects. Like if you watch any of the like do your job well documentaries and anything where he's super candid he acknowledges, I, you know, I make mistakes. I like listening to other people who can help me. But then you get things like the Andrew Callahan and Doug Kide report, which we, you know, I talked about over on Pat's Daily with Doug, where there's reports where he didn't even want to bring in Bill O'Brien. He wanted to stick with Matt Patricia. And Robert Kraft said publicly that he thought Matt Patricia was put in a position to fail. So, you know, he made a rare step. Robert Kraft is a very hands-off owner. He, he lets Belichick do his thing because obviously Belichick has a better track record than anybody in the NFL. But he said, no, something has to change. He's also said already twice that he wants a playoff win. So you kind of enter this and it's like, all right, that's three strikes there. Where yeah. And then reports are saying that he is very disappointed, very disappointed. So I think it literally is like he's hoping that Bill will talk him off the ledge. And, that's, and we don't really know what's going to happen. We don't know if Bill is saying – if he's going to go in and say, I have a plan, I want to maintain control, but I know what I want to do. We don't know if he's going to say, you know what, I'm going to take a step back and give Bill O'Brien more control of the offense and kind of, you know, stick to my end of it and, you know, give him a little more control. We don't know if he's going to want to bring in um, somebody else to kind of handle more of the general manager duties, if it's Grow being elevated, if it's bringing in somebody who's familiar with the organization but has spent time elsewhere and has a track record. We really don't know when all these options are on the table, which makes it interesting interesting but obviously we live in a society where people want to know right now what's going to happen and the truth is we really don't it all depends on bill but i do agree that he has a chance to maintain his job but i think he's really going to have to make significant changes in terms of how he 
um, goes about building the team and his management of the team because we've seen how great he is as a coach. He's lost nothing as a coach. He's lost nothing as a defensive Italian talent evaluator because, you know, Christian Gonzalez obviously is a knockout of the park. Keon White really started flashing towards the end of the year. Uh, Marte Mapu had his struggles, but you saw the playmaking ability late. I'm not justifying these picks over offensive picks. I did at the time. I have since learned and grown and been like, you know what? Nah. Maybe not Keon White and Marte Mapu. Like, I'm happy to say that I was wrong there. But, you know, I think in those areas, Bill's fine. But the offense, it's, 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 it's a real, real blind spot. And if he decides to acknowledge that and make real changes, I think that, yeah, he's back. But if he doesn't, I also think that Robert Kraft is saying, hey, I've got Gerard Mayo. Bill Belichick's own philosophy is that I'd rather, you know, give up on a player a couple years too early than a couple years too late. And after what we've seen, if you keep Bill and there's not changes, you're probably going to have the same result where Robert Kraft is just going to – he's going to be furious at that point because he keeps making these mistakes. So I, I think a real change is going to need to be made, but it's going to be whether or not Bill is willing to see that or whether he's like, hey, I can go to another organization, I can maybe bring my kids, and I can still have the amount of control that I want because I've still got it as a general manager. That's what it comes down to in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think that's all really well said. And I, I, you referenced the report, Taylor, um, from uh, from Andrew, uh, host of the Pat's Interference podcast here on CLNS Media. We should point that out. And and his colleague, Doug Kide, um, you know, well-sourced piece, um, described, I think, in great detail some of the things that we have talked about, um, you know, and that's been talked about throughout the course of the season. And you mentioned... I think that that was the one telling thing. And I think that's the thing that's going to be the sticking point there. Not whether or not Bill says something and you believe him, whether or not he's even willing to do it, because I think that that's the most egregious thing about all above, above all else. I think whiffing on players is something everyone does and you can go on a cold streak, but philosophically speaking, he's been a guy who's been successful going off the board multiple times in the past and it hasn't worked. So the things that worked for him before aren't working for him now, but it's always been his philosophy to look for market inefficiencies, draft different types of players, X, Y, and Z. And again, there's a lot of frustrating misses. I, I, I don't think it's a strength. And I, I do question whether or not he's, uh, you know, evolved or adapted with the modern game. I think mm -hmm. the refusal to kind of buy into the analytics. Look, I think this is a guy who was ahead of, ahead of the curve, you know, miles ahead of the curve in the way he thought about football, where other people had a more institutional style of thinking and they ran a particular system and they believed in old football tropes about what wins football game. And Belichick cha challenged that convention. He was ahead, whether he was using the analytics of his brain or not. He was thinking about things differently. I think he just needs to come into the future with it. But the most damning of all was that with the coaches, because I really think it's like the analogy I used it's, or the metaphor, whatever you want to call it. He he watered. He bought the plant, but he didn't water it. OK, mm -hmm. they, they, they made him get O'Brien as a coach and he didn't let him pick a staff and he gave him no tools. And he said, go ahead, fix it. Oh, is it, offense. I can't do offense. Is that right, Rob? You know, Robert, okay, let him fix it. And he set him up to fail. A guy mm -hmm. who, with whom he has a relationship, which to me, if that's how it went down, is bordering on petty and immature, not only stubborn. Yeah. And so yeah. if that's how it went down, that's worrisome because that's, nope, it's going to be my way. It's take my ball and go home sort of stuff. And that, to me, is the worst part about it is you, Mayo gets anointed 
And then and then and then he's reporting to Bill's kid and he's walking around the building and nobody knows what he does. He doesn't have a title or any sort of authority, but he was elevated in a press release, but given no actual power. O'Brien is given power. O'Brien is given a title, but no tools with which to work. Adrian Clem also reported in this thing, brought in as an O-line coach, gets gets into it with Grow over the lack of talent on the O-line. Like, how am I supposed to coach these guys? So, like, problems throughout the organization, a lot of it stemming from the fact that Bill just wouldn't give his guys stuff to work with. I think that that's the most troubling of all. And that's where, if I'm craft, I would have a little bit of pause, you know? So th- that that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it, too. I, I don't know how you get there, right, Taylor? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how he I, – I don't know how Kraft feels good about his decision either way. I'm not going to lie. I think that's fair because with Bill, it's you, he had what I think is fair to say was a pretty toxic situation where the front office and the coaching staff didn't get together. The coaching staff didn't necessarily get along well with each other because you had the old regime and Vinny Sinceri and Troy Brown. Then you have Adrian Clem, who's basically on an island, and then you have Bill O'Brien and Will Lawing. Like the Patriots staffs, anytime you look at – again, I, I, I've been really watching a lot of their documentaries on when they win the Super Bowl where they kind of do the deep dives – and you look at all these guys who just work so well together and then go off and eventually get opportunities elsewhere, but it's because they have a cohesive staff. So even if he comes back, you wonder, is there still going to be bad blood? Is there going to be awkward or weirdness? You know, there's no guarantees there, but then you also take the chance where if you do, I, you know, we can talk about a bunch of different coaching candidates. I think most realistically, the crafts like to keep things in-house like Belichick. They're not going to go out. I really don't think they're going to go out and get like a Bobby Slowick or uh, – uh, um, oh, my God, I'm blanking on his name. The Lions offensive coordinator. Johnson, my bad. Ben Johnson. Johnson. Ben Johnson. Right, Ben Johnson. I always think it's Bob or Ben. I get confused. But I don't think he's going to go out and get a guy like that because they don't have any connections. I think he wants to elevate Mayo because it also helps with uh, turnover because you don't have to get like a whole new staff of people you're not familiar with. I think he wants to keep it in-house. But you also – Mayo, for all of his you know, his success as a player, he's been in the building for a long time. He's a well-respected coach. You don't know how he's going to lead an organization. And you already had the reports, whether they're right or wrong, that Mayo even acknowledged that were saying that they didn't like the way that he was carrying himself. And that creates a weird situation where it's kind of like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Do you bring believe, Mike Mabel back? Sorry. I, I, no, I didn't mean to. I believe that's likely other coaches, not players, though. I think he's got the ear mm-hmm. of the players. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. But it, again, that's okay. So do you kind of, where, where do you go from there? And I really don't know. I, I'm not sure where you go if it's Mayo, like, does he get rid of guys or what have you? I love, I think that Mayo is by far their best candidate. I know there's been talk about Mike Vrabel, but I don't understand the point of that when Vrabel and Gerard Mayo have similar resumes. The difference is that obviously Vrabel has experience as a head coach. Mayo doesn't. But at some point, Mayo's going to get that opportunity. And how are you going to feel if Mayo ends yeah. up going to, you know, some other team? And then he has success. Because especially last night, watching to me, Nico Ryans. I kind of looked into his and Mayo's career resumes just out of curiosity. I'm like, well, they are both really good linebackers. They played around the same time. When I tell you, they were the same person, both all of all SEC, both uh, two-time pro bowlers, both one-time all pros. Like as players, they were very, very similar in terms of their success. And you've seen with D'Amico Ryans how that translates and how players respond to him and how much he gets out of them. I think you get the same thing with Gerard Mayo with the added bonus of not only does he have coaching experience like D'Amico Ryans did, he's been in the media. So he understands how they work. And he's much more transparent with us than most of the people on the coaching staff, but not in a way where it seems like he's you know, going outside of the company line. He just understands like you can be transparent, but you don't have to give away state secrets. And he's got the business acumen, which you know I directly asked him about. 
And he mentioned how it helps him talk to a diverse kind of group of people, how he is better. And, you know, it helps with a mentorship and communication. There's a lot of things going for him. So I don't think you want Gerard Mayo to leave the building. And frankly, if you keep Bill around for two or three more years, you're probably going to lose him. And at some point, you're also probably going to lose to Marcus Covington. So then it's like, okay, we don't even really know what the succession plan is going to be or if there's even going to be somebody on the around the league in that tree or someone with experience with the Patriots who's available. So – you know, I, I really do think, and I hate to say this, especially because I was pro Bill, but after that came out, I was like, you're creating a bad situation on your own staff. It's not just you don't have offensive talent, which is what I thought it was. It's that you were maybe actually going out of your way to be petty and hurting your coaching staff, which that blew my mind because, yeah, Belichick can be petty. We all know that. But usually he sees the bigger picture, and that is the exact opposite. That's what – but. I had my conspiracy theory beyond just O'Brien that Bill that Bill secretly wanted Mac to fail after the going outside the building and didn't want to help there either because I don't think he I I don't know that he necessarily was a thousand percent wanted to pick him in the first place and I don't like I don't think he liked how that went and I thought that that relationship was bad in training camp and I pointed it out multiple times every time Mac Jones spoke when he was asked a question about how much involvement do you have with Bill Belichick he said Bill's good at defense. Uh, but I'm really happy that we have O'Brien here. And he did that over and over and over again. Which so, is fair. Which is fair. Because any time Bill toes over on offense, it's bad. Like one of the things with Adrian Clyde, once he left, Bill started teaching accident. stars. Right. But I'm saying like anytime Bill goes over to the offense, it seems like it goes poorly because when you talk about Adrian Clem, once he left, Trent Brown said that Bill was teaching Skarnegius principles, whereas Clem was teaching things that were different, which one, another thing that was so bizarre is that they didn't know what Adrian Clem's teaching philosophies and style would be. And Trent Brown said that he was more new age and Bill was teaching something completely different deep into the season, which again, it's one, how are you hiring a guy? And then you're surprised by how he's teaching. I don't know how that works. Beyond that, how are you going to go out of your way to change how these people are already being taught when they're already a struggling unit? Like there's that piece just had so many little tidbits where I'm like, this, this is really damning. And even if you bring Bill back, how do you solve these things? And that's why I really think he needs to get out of the offense. Give that to Bill O'Brien. Was Bill O'Brien a great general manager and leader of a franchise? No. But we have seen that he can have success as an offensive mind. And when, you know, it's it's managed. And also, I think that Bill O'Brien's matured. Like, I think he's much more introspective. And I think he's more self-aware. And when he talks to us, like, you really do get the sense that, he, he he gets what's going on, whereas when he was with the Texans, it seemed like he was way out of touch. I think he's grown from there. So considering he's had general manager experience, he's had head coaching experience, I think that he's earned the right to be able to get at least one season of control of the offense to build something that he can be proud of and thinks that he has enough tools to work with because nothing I've ever – in, at least in recent history, like nothing involving Bill in the offense has been positive by any stretch of the imagination. And that's that, that's what's been the crux of the team since Brady's last season. I got muted. I mainly point that out to talk about disconnect more than anything else. And and, and my, you know, I wonder whether Bill kind of take my ball and go home approach, which is fine. I'm handling the defense. You Max a friggin' genius who has coaches outside the building and Bill O'Brien invented offense. So you guys do it. Go ahead. Have fun. Uh, meanwhile, I'm going to wait till the sixth round to get a receiver and I'm drafting a bunch of, you know, short armed, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex interior linemen in the friggin' middle rounds. And, you know, you guys can figure it out. No tackles, by the way, no tackles. All right. Bye. Have fun. I mean, ridiculous, ridiculous. So, um, 
again, I, I it's such bad judgment. Again, this is where, <laughs> you know, going through the draft stuff with you and I doing all that stuff before. Why, like, a simpleton like me, you know, who's like, I'm a basic, you know, like, I'm not you. I don't, I, I'm not looking at hours and hours and hours of tape to tell you why this guy's good. And But in a very basic way, it's like, why aren't, these guys getting offensive players. They have none. It made no sense. It's made no sense the whole way through. I'm not going to sit here and accuse Bill Belichick of intentionally sabotaging, but it really had weird vibes all the way through the start. It really did. Uh, and so I don't know. And that's Kraft has to factor everything in is, well, you might say we're going to do all this stuff, but why didn't we do it this year? You know, like what was the problem? Like, yeah, Gonzalez is great, but you could have taken a swing at a series of receivers, which we needed. You know, like Isaiah Flowers, who we were all over, or Addison, or whomever, didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Second round. I mean, look at all of the, you know, the, the opportunities to take players that they just chose not to take. Tank Dell, Josh Downs, we talked about these guys. They're legit NFL players. And ignored it, and ignored it, and ignored it, and ignored it. But anyway, uh, it's, I don't know how you... I don't know how you convince Robert, but what I will say is here's where I think the bigger problem comes is uh, chances are whatever comes next is worse. Mm. Realistically, for a a multitude of reasons. I don't think it's a great job right now. I don't think there's any shine on it. Um, I don't think you're coming to a ready-made organization that's like a year or two away with a lot of young ascending talent. I think you're in a rebuild. I think you, I know you have the defense in place or you have good defensive pieces in place, but I also think Belichick is integral to the continued success of that unit. And you might have some, you know, personnel coming and going in, in there, there, there as well. So uh, beyond that, offensively, you're talking about a full rebuild with a rookie quarterback, maybe uh, here. And I also, number two, there's three factors. Number two, I don't think anybody from the outside wants to come in and be the guy who comes in after Bill. That's a horrible position to be in. You want you want to be the Patriots coach after the next one fails, not right now after the greatest coach of all time hangs it up because you're always going to be measured against that. Number three, as you said, I believe that Kraft is going to go, if he does change it out, he's going to go the familiarity route and hire a Mayo or a McDaniels or somebody that he knows and then – and then find and then find a GM that's willing to work with them. So I think mm-hmm. you're looking at retreads here, and I don't know if that's going to work. So I I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. And Kraft has to know, like, I guess I could bring in Josh and bring back Ziegler and run the Raiders thing back here. Is that going to be better? And it's like, uh, and if everything, I'm saying, and if he knows, he's like, and if if it's going to be bad, now I'm going to be the guy that let Brady and Bill walk. Like, is that who I want to be? I think he's going to be cognizant of that. I don't think McDaniels has any shot of being a head coach anytime. I, I, just, in the next I, I, I know that's just one, but I know people are talking about it. I think that is not realistic. I think Gerard Mayo really is the no-brainer choice. And if you're talking about, yes, it's going to get worse. But who is the best bridge between Belichick and ushering in this new area if you want to maintain the defense? It's a guy who was a captain. It's a guy who spent his entire professional football life with the Patriots, knows him better than anybody, has seen how Belichick performs or uh, prepares and does all of those things. Like no one has more intimate knowledge of the Patriots defense than does Gerard Mayo. So I think, and again, at some point they have to move on. Like it's going to happen. We can talk about, you know, how much worse it's going to be after Belichick, but it's going to be worse at some point. Belichick's not going to coach for another 
probably not need another and, five and, years. And, and this is a good point. How much worse can it get? All I mean is that, like, you're fo- you're not following Belichick's four-win season. You're following Belichick's six Super Bowl reign. You know what I mean? Is like you need to you need to build this back up to a to, to get you need to build this back up somewhere real fast. And I think that's hard that I'm not saying it's impossible to do. What I'm saying is it's daunting. It's not, it's a, it's a type of situation where a coach gets fired. Not, you know, you know, like I, I don't know. that. I think it's fair to like say we're in a position. If you've got your pick of places, if you're Ben Johnson and you've got your pick of vacancies, I don't know that, you looking around the league, you're looking at the New England roster and being like, that's the place I'm going to make my mark. Particularly if you're going to come in and talk about, I'm going to use my offensive wizardry. Like I'm a, I'm, I'm the next McDaniel. I'm the next McVay. I'm going to take these tools here and boy, are we going to rip it? You're going to come in there and the thing that you do best, you're going to struggle to do next year because you don't have the pieces right now. And you're starting at zero. I don't think one of these offensive minds wants to go to a place like New England. I don't think that's true. So one, like think there are only two games this season where you can say the Patriots went in and had no shot in the fourth quarter. They have a ton of, there was like somebody had a chart where it showed if you flip the result of every one possession game, okay. So you start with that. The defense is pretty much ready-made. You can walk that defense out in the game. If you have like a Gerard Mayo who can bring some continuity, you're saying, and it's just like when Bill and uh, with the beginning of Tom Brady's career, Belichick himself said that Tom Brady, was not Tom Brady until 2003. So that's the first two seasons where basically he was being carried by his supporting cast. You're talking about a team that has a defense that is already at least playoff caliber. Like, yeah, you got to retain some guys, but I think that there's plenty of guys who deserve it. They have contract extensions. I'm that just are saying possible. if you're a Ben Johnson type, if you're going with the sexy offensive-minded guy, this isn't a place where you can showcase your skills. That's all I'm saying. I, but that's the thing. I also think they have a ton of capital. This isn't a team that's broke. This isn't a team that's picking like with the 12th pick. This is a team with a top three pick in the first two rounds, a good third-round pick that has a ton of money. Now, obviously, that's going to change because they do need to extend players. They got to figure out what's going to happen with Juju and Devontae Parker that's going to affect the cap because I don't see how they're going to be on the team. Like they're going to take hits from those contracts. They also, I also have think like you 20... can spend your first three draft picks on one. And also think about this. You're talking about a cost controlled quarterback, probably a cost controlled left tackle and a cost controlled wide receiver. So maybe you spend a bunch of money on one wide receiver position. I think that's a really good situation to be in because the three highest paid, three of the highest paid positions in the entire NFL are going to be on rookie deals. So that gives you a ton of flexibility where you have a defense that can protect the young quarterback. You have all these young players that can grow together, that can get better together, and then you can install whatever offense you want and then let them gain continuity with, again, the assistance of a defense that's going to allow them to not have to score 25 points, 30 points all the time. The Patriots defense is going to make sure that with the last possession of the game, they have a chance to win can you imagine if this was a team with a first round quarterback a really good fringe first round second round left tackle and like two better weapons you can't tell me that this isn't a team that's at least right at the bottom of the playoffs that's where they were right this season and most likely they're going to be able to retain all of their key pieces i don't think this is a team that's nearly as far off as people think the tech you're telling me this team right now is worse than what the texans were last year like, C.J. Stroud obviously deserves a ton of credit, but if you're getting a young quarterback, you're expecting that they can at least do enough to keep you in these games and then actually do enough to win them. 
I think the Patriots are miles better than where the Texans were at this time last season because, once again, they have money. They have draft capital. They have a great defense. And they have really mo- – I mean, obviously, it depends on like, – it's complicated because you don't know what's going to happen yeah, with David but, Andrews. Uh, but, but you also have a good uh, offensive line. So I I know, but I, you know I think they're in a pretty good spot. But, I mean, again, like a lot of these other teams who are going to have openings have – I mean – the Patriots, the Commanders have cap space. The Texans have this raw. I mean, they're not changing coaches right now. But who do the Commanders about, like, have? Who do the Commanders have? They have a uh, bad. Uh, they have a. They have one of the worst defenses in the league, and the, the, they've the, got the, a bad the, offensive like Terry McLaurin. They've Terry McLaurin. The Bears on have cap space. The, the the Raiders have cap space. Like there's other teams out the, there. The that Bears are the Bears are keeping their head coach. I know, but they're fourth. Like I said, is we don't know that for sure. You think Abraham Flush is staying? I 100%? think they, yeah, I'm pretty sure they all but said that he was coming back. Oh my goodness gracious! Uh, there's there, and also we're talking about trying to attract outside candidates. They're probably not going to get an outside candidate. We're talking about can Gerard Mayo and most likely Bill O'Brien with control bring this team back to the playoffs with three? If you spend your top three picks on offense, you at least spend one of your big money contracts on a receiver. I abs. I I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who's saying nah. This team is two years away. Anybody but, I talk to whose opinion I respect thinks that they're like they really need offensive talent but they're not that far away but taylor there's one thing to like need a receiver or two but the patriots legitimately need two receivers two tight ends a quarterback and a pass catching back and, and and two tackles so they need four of the most important positions in the draft on one one left you need one left tackle if they sign him and pay him real tackle money, they need a ton. And they've got a, only 40 guys under contract. That cap space, just with people you're retaining and filling out a roster, is going to fill up pretty quick. I don't think it's as quick a path as people think. That's all. It's not – you can't fix it overnight because you need all of the premium positions. And and the number one you're going to address is in the draft, and that is a hit or miss if your guy – if you draft Zach Wilson or frigging the whole thing's over. So like you're you're everything is a best case scenario that you draft a guy who's good quickly or definitely the quarterback of the future and are able to fill it with supplementary pieces that you're now using in the second round of the draft or with whatever salary that you have. Getting all of those things. Uh, they don't have a tight end under contract next year. Getting all of those things and all of those weapons is hard. It's hard. This is not a all they need is this. They need seven things on offense. I understand. Positions. I understand, but we're not talking about like the Patriots being a top three seed. We're saying get to the playoffs, yeah. win a wild card game. Again, the defense. Every game that we've seen, it's like Chad Ryland misses a field goal or Mac Jones throws an interception when he had a wide open touchdown. Like we're talking about things where if you're just putting in a functional quarterback with the offense they had, with as bad as this offense was, you're saying they don't have any pieces, they still could have made the playoffs if just the result of a few games that were horrendously bad finishes yeah, and differently. Know, but, you're talking about like, I know, I, but and, they, and again, but you can like resign the, the tight end room, and I think you're fine. You get like a guy in the fourth round. Right? Taylor, it's one of the worst offensive seasons in history, not by the Patriots. Like, and, by they, still, and they still were in the fourth <laughs> quarter of all the two games, and both of those blowouts were because their quarterback's brain melted inside of his head. Like, I, I understand. I'm not saying that this is going to be a team where you're, like, talking about, oh, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, look out. 
but you have a top three pick. And these are all like, this isn't the Zach, this isn't Zach Wilson. Like, I don't, I think you'd have to ruin these guys. I think Caleb Williams, Drake May, Michael Penix, and Jaden Daniels. I think all of those guys, if you surround them with even a deep, like a good offensive line is really the bottom line. And we saw literally last night. What a guy like yeah, C.J. Stroud can totally... do and how he can elevate it. And I, I don't want to set the standard because what C.J. Stroud is doing is historic. I completely acknowledge that. But we're also talking about this being a team where the defense is pretty much set. Like, and yes, the re-signings are important, but the re-signings are how you build the foundation of that team. And then you get the young players where you hope that, yes, you will hit. And that's why I'm saying I guys, don't want Bill to be the one who's responsible for that. I listen, want it to be someone listen, who can actually pick their listen, own coaches. Like I, I know I know everyone loves this whole they were in games thing. Every team, this is how it works. You win some close games that you're in, and you lose some close games that you're in. If every but they're team still close won, games. This isn't a team that's if, getting blown out every if, week. If if every team won every one score, what we're saying is you're talking about bringing in a top tier offensive mind potentially from the outside to coach this team and i don't believe new england's situation is attractive to a top offensive coach because they have no offensive players i'm telling you okay you're you're talking around my point which is that bill o'brien is going to be back bill o'brien will be back it's not whether they can be competitive. They showed defense alone is keeping them in the fight. I'm not saying whether the Patriots can't rock fight their way to seven, eight, nine wins next year. I'm saying you're talking about bringing in a top offensive mind into a situation where he has nothing to work with. It's very right now. I they have all the capital. Like what? So. Okay, I don't understand what your point is because they have money. They have draft capital. Are you just saying they can't possibly? Like, if you can't get better with money and draft capital, how do you get better? Let me see. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith. You have to hit when you spend the money. I am so not again. disagreeing. They spent, they allocated the resources poorly. No one is saying that Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry's contracts were good. No one is saying that Nelson Aguilar, and even, and even if you want to make that argument, Mac Jones was, Mac Jones was a Pro Bowl alternate with Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Hunter Henry, and whatever the hell Jonu Smith was, and a Ricky Ramondre Stevenson, and an inconsistent offensive line. Like, it was – that's how close you were already. And then they did nothing to keep helping him, and he completely regressed. Like, I don't understand what the argument is here that they can't get better. When you get a quarterback who has it's all not, the things that everyone is always complaining that Mac doesn't have. The, These quarterbacks have athleticism. They have good arms. They're accurate. They make mistakes, but they also have the talent where, yeah, if you throw a horrible interception, Drake May, Caleb Williams, uh, Michael Penix Jr., and Jaden Daniels can all come on the field the next play and score in two plays. That okay. is the difference in this team. This is an offense that could not generate big plays to save their life until Bailey Zappi came in and just started facing some bad defense. Even the Chiefs defense wasn't that bad, and that was one of his best games of his entire career. I'm sorry. Like, this, I, is sun, this is sunny pie in the sky stuff. Doesn't I don't even think work? it is. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect, but I'm saying you can't tell me that with three top picks and all this money, they can't significantly We're having two different conversations. One conversation is one conversation is can the Patriots return to being competitive, and can they f start to feel they the are competitive? They are competitive. Their they're records. not. They're not. They're not. They're they not, are. They're what not are you competitive? How is being in the game in every fourth quarter not competitive? This isn't the Commanders where you look at the fourth quarter and it's like it's not even a point of watching. They're getting blown out. Every fourth quarter, except for the Saints in the Dallas game, they had a chance to win those We're games. Having, and again, they, I'm talking about deep. I know. They're the only team that loses close games. I get it. 
the conversation is this. It's twofold. Can they be competitive? Can they be more competitive? Yes. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying from the outside looking in, if you look at this situation as an offensive coach, you're thinking, whoo, there's a lot we have to do here. That's you look at a team that almost it. beat Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, and you're telling – a team that I'm already almost beat two of the best quarterbacks about, in the league, and you're saying, I can't fix this team. I'm I can't make them better. Also, I think you're really about, underestimating how arrogant coaches are. I, I think you really are. I think I'm if you get a coach just dating Daniels just in the rest of this offense. talking about the offense. It, you're in a full-scale, tear-it-down rebuild so an offense it's not even coach, that though you rebuild the receiving core the offensive no line is mostly fine no receivers and no City is so cool. Stranger's playing the best football of his career david andrews said himself he has more left in the tank and jake andrews has looked good in limited spots you bring mike yeah. and winning back that's almost a no-brainer you draft the left tackle there's your offensive line there's your offensive line right there all a good quarterback needs is two guys he can trust and other guys who just don't f up and you're fine like I under I understand. I understand that you want to be skeptical and I know I'm Mr. Sunshine no, it's not Rainbows. No, Taylor, you, you you're doing two things. One, you have to bat a thousand to do what you're saying. And two, the coach has to believe Which is a lot easier with a third overall pick. The two, the coach has to believe that you're gonna bat a thousand and decide this is where I wanna be. I'm literally only saying, Taylor, it's a fixer upper. Doesn't mean you can't turn it into a pretty house. But like you're walking in and you're thinking, yikes, this is a lot of work. That's literally all I'm saying. They're starting. And I'm saying it's not zero. that much work. I think you're I think you're way overblowing it because I understand they have free agents, but it's not like they can't re-sign them. And I, and I, and I am, uh, I am also of the understanding. I'm not saying they're going to go out and get like two big money receivers. I don't think that. I think when you re-sign the players like Mike and Wendy, like Anthony Jennings, uh, who else you want to bring back? Um, you know, I know you got to extend Barmore. Like, I'm not saying that money's going to stay there, but if you spend one of those big contracts on a receiver that guys can respect, you're probably going to bring back Kendrick Bourne. So you got Kendrick Bourne, Demario Douglas. You know, Hunter Henry, but then you rounded out with the really good receiving back. Jag, 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 jag. It's fine. You just called Ramondre Stevenson a jag and Demario Douglas a jag? I'll I'll jump through the screen, John. I'll jump through the screen. Jags, jags. Everyone's got five of those guys. Give me a break. Not everybody has Jaden Daniels or Drake May or Caleb Williams. Like, I'm saying the quarterback matters. (laughs) He elevates the entire floor of your offense. We're talking about, again, Mac Jones actively threw his own job away with turnovers <laughs> that literally I came on this show after half of Mac Jones games. It almost had an aneurysm because he had chances to win these games and literally threw them away with all these jacks, 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 jacks. Like, come on, man. We're not talking about the teams getting blown out every week. They had two bad games because, again, Mac's brain just went poof. And he just kept, couldn't stop himself from throwing to the other team. He forgot who he played for. Like, if you just – if you just get a quarterback in here who doesn't turn the ball over, like there's just an incentive to quarterback. There's like there's like seven guys on the planet who can play this position well. <laughs> but I'm saying that I'm saying a quarterback who doesn't turn the ball over, like he has an incentive in his contract to hit ten interceptions. If you yeah. get that, 
you're doing much better. Because this team, like, how many times did the defense have to stop a, a team when they were starting inside their own 10-yard line? Like, that's what I'm talking about. If you just stop the team from shooting itself in the foot all the time, this is a much better team. And then you have all the resources to build the talent and get oh at least three God. true difference I, makers. I, I, I love the people who agree with you here because, fine, it's totally good. Go- Cool, but like this is just we we were just here, guys. We were just here with a quarterback on a rookie deal and space to surround. And he was a pro bowler his first year with a bunch of Jags. Like, what do you? What's the argument here? Eleventh altar. We literally. He would. He still make. Is he a pro bowler now? Taylor, we just did this. We just did this. You drafted a rookie quarterback. He performed fairly okay, and you had money to spend, and you still effed it he up. Was the, it's not a guarantee. Mac was the 25th pick. Was he the fourth or fifth quarterback off the board? No one was excited. I, was, I wasn't even excited about Mac. When Justin Fields went off the board, I almost cried on air. Like This isn't the same situation. Mac was somebody that everybody knew needed an immense amount of help. He had decent talent his first year and I, still look, did relatively well. We're he talking did. about completely different talents at quarterback who can actually elevate their talent rather than needing their talent to elevate them. And we just yeah. literally saw just last night how much a quarterback who can actually do his job. We are and literally just talking him. about whether or not a path, you a clear path to like success or something. That I keep giving you one and someone. you don't like it. I keep because you what I'm saying, you're coming in as we're talking about getting an outside coach to come into here in a situation where you're succeeding Bill Belichick and you have no talent on offense and just say, well, you know, the good news is we can do a lot of stuff. Maybe somebody wants to start a total rebuild and something. But what do we talk about? Every time there's a free agent situation, every time a coach, there's a hot coach name out there. What are the top names that are always mentioned? Well, I bet you he'd love to go to Jacksonville because they got Lawrence in place and the young up-and-coming receivers. Or I bet you they'd love to go to the Chargers with Herbert there. You're talking about going places yeah, where... Who, who a- would want to coach Jaden Daniels and Drake May? Oh, gross. Why would I want to do that? You're like, and you're giving me hypotheticals about whether or not they're going to be... Trey Lance, Zach stop, Wilson, stop, Justin Fields. Stop. You haven't seen them play a snap yet. You're not going. Nobody's going. You're talking Young. about all guys. You're, these are all guys where Zach Wilson, like a lot of people, didn't even think he was a. That was an overdraft that a lot of people agreed with. Trey Lance had a massive question marks because the level of talent that he played was not good. Jaden Daniels has 35 interceptions to zero touchdowns on 15 plus yard throws in the past two seasons in the SEC. He wasn't in the SEC last year, but this year in the SEC, he dominated against Alabama. Even when he couldn't throw, he dominated with his legs. Drake may have been. Taylor, do we need to go pull up like every draft in history and go through the hits and misses? It's 50% in the top 10 with the quarterback. So what are we talking about then? And you're also bringing up this hypothetical of we're recruiting a great offensive mind. They're probably bringing back their offensive coordinator. So we're talking about maintaining stability and building, not blowing it up. That's the point. The point is, if they're going to promote from within, it doesn't matter. They're going to go through this process you're talking about, and it might work. 
That's not in question. You're arguing whether or not they can. I'm arguing whether somebody wants to come in here and be here for that fresh cold as a start. And like, here you go, start with nothing and then see what we can get out of it. And that's a it's challenge It's not starting with nothing. You're starting with the top three picket quarterback in a class that a lot of people actually like. The class, okay, a lot of, Trevor Lawrence was seen as a generational prospect. Justin Fields was talented, but he had inconsistencies, and there were things you needed to iron out. I'm not saying this is a perfect quarterback class by any stretch of the imagination, but I do not think it even holds a candle to what we've seen the past two years. Like, you want to talk about the, tw like, last year's quarterback draft class, one of the worst classes we've ever seen. I and mean, you keep bringing people, up Zach Wilson like he was somebody who was unanimously loved. A bunch of people had massive question marks about Zach Wilson. And once again, Matt Jones was entering the league with a ton of questions unanimously understood to be a guy who needed significant help. And we already saw how that played out where he did well when he had decent supporting cast. And then when he lost his offensive coordinator and then didn't get any help on his offensive line, he got battered to the point where he couldn't even stand in the pocket and make a smart decision anymore. Like, I, I don't know. This is, you're talking about so apples and oranges where you're bringing up guys not, who— We're not. We're not. You're saying, you're saying every quarterback drafted in the top three picks is going to be an, a star guaranteed. And I'm saying— I actively am not saying that. I'm actively not say, saying that. And, but I'm saying I'm, if you're talking about a quarterback who's coming in, if you have a talented young quarterback, that's exciting. That's that's something saying, that you say, hey, I can turn him into a star. That's literally and, how quarterback or uh, offensive minds think. Saying, and I'm saying you're stepping into a not awesome situation in New England, which you might not want as your first head coaching job because head coaches don't want to go somewhere where the chance of failure is an option. You're talking about your first shot. Some people only get one shot at this, Taylor. So you want to go somewhere that's soft landing. Why do some of the hot coordinators, Taylor, stop, seriously. Why do some of the hot coordinators skip a year, right? They, they're, they're the hot coordinator and they could get any job they want and they survey the landscape and they're like, I don't like any of these landing spots, not because it's not possible it could be successful there. The reason they skip it is because failure is a, a, a higher percentage than I want it to be for my first job. This is going to be a challenge, a big time challenge yeah. for me. And it, I don't want to go in Shane there. Steichen, it, shot, it stopped Shane Steichen, didn't it? When he had Anthony Richardson and then Gardner Minshew, it stopped him from taking that head coaching job, didn't it? What are you talking about? It just means that a lot of people are like, I don't know, I'm going to wait this one out and I'm going to wait for the right situation for me. When you're the number one top guy out there, you pick your spot where you think you've got the greatest chance to step right in and make an immediate impact. That's not here, offensively speaking. And if you're looking for that young, hot offensive mind or your Ben Johnson's of the world, I don't know that he's walking in here saying, yep. This place, I'm absolutely going to be fine. It's a massive leap of faith and not something that I think someone is going to – I don't think it's a hot you're destination. Literally, you're literally making – okay, Brian Dable took a job with Daniel Jones as his quarterback. Shane Steichen took a job with the first-round pick who also had questions coming out of school but was seen as a, a really great athlete who had good tools that you could work with if you minimize some of the things he did wrong. We've literally seen in the past two years – First-time head coaches take jobs with situations at quarterback that weren't defined, but where, one, he clearly Dable thought he could fix Daniel Jones. That didn't happen. And Shane Steichen went in there and made Anthony Richardson one of the most exciting young players in the NFL before he got hurt. Like, I'm literally giving you examples of against your argument, and you're talking about something that you're making up in your head without giving me any concrete examples. I'd love one. If you could give me one, I'd love it. But you aren't. So, I like, I don't know what we're doing about this conversation. All I know is that I'm right.
I'm wow. usually wrong, but this time I'm right. Like I don't even. You're, you're, this I get the devil's advocate thing, but like it's driving me up a freaking wall, man. Because like it's I'm giving devil, you examples of me being it, right, and you're just making up like things in your saying, head. You're saying Shane Steichen was the hot name, the number. He's one, one of the best name. offensive coordinators. And like, did you not see the game last night? Yes, he's he was a very highly respected offensive coordinator. They yes, missed on, they missed on their first five choices at that to get to him. They friggin' whiffed on four guys before they settled on him. Who come on? The Colts Ooh. that wasn't their so that wasn't their number one target. Where did you see that? That was not the Colts did not target and go get Shane Where did as you their see number that? one guy. Where did you Taylor, see that? Taylor, where did you see that? We're paying bills for a second. I was too right. We have to move on, guys. I was right. FanDuel. You want to bet? You want to gamble? How much longer this argument's going to go on? I think they're taking. I think they're taking bets. FanDuel.com slash Boston. If you sign up today, you get 150 in bonus bets when you place a $5 bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston. You don't have to win this bet. You just have to place it. And as the playoffs get set to begin, this is the place to go. FanDuel.com slash Boston. Uh, $5, 150 bonus bets. Not real money. This is bonus bets, but you can use it to make real money. You have to deposit 10 and bet 5. All right. Moving on, Taylor. Shall we move on? I would love to. <laughs> I want to know. know what, I don't even know what these, day it is. <laughs> I want to know which of these automatic can't miss quarterbacks you're most into with the number three pick. Let me breathe for a second. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm still like I've yet to do my like real draft deep dive where I can start splitting the hairs and seeing like really who I think has the edge. But the names, obviously, at the top of the list are like Drake May, uh, not Caleb Williams. He's probably going to be gone. But Drake May, Jaden Daniels, and Michael Penix Jr. Now, with Drake, I think that, one, I know he gets a lot of flack for the turnover-worthy plays and things like that and kind of like going off script. And he does miss reads, and like he's far from a perfect prospect. He also, along with Jaden Daniels, has one of the lowest turnover-worthy play rates in college football. Not even just like in, the, in their conference, in college football. So there's something to work with there. Not to mention they both are very talented. Like just when you watch Drake May, again, it's not perfect. But when you see him operate, especially when things aren't going right, he just look like he looks like he was born to play quarterback. He has really great spatial awareness to understand where, okay, if I'm about to get sacked, there's somebody here where I can still pitch the ball out. He shows anticipation. He shows downfield accuracy and short accuracy. He operates really well in rhythm. And it's hard to get him off schedule, you know, when he doesn't commit some of his own mistakes. Because one, his accuracy is good, but he's also athletic enough that he can get out of trouble. He can, you know, he can scramble if he needs to just get a first down. He's a really tough guy to really get off of his rhythm. Then you got Jaden Daniels, tremendous runner, like game changing would enter the NFL as one of its most athletic quarterbacks. Not just straight line speed. He can also make guys miss. Guys tend to misjudge how fast he is in space. Like you saw it against Alabama where, you know, you can say, oh, he's doing it against college players. Well, where do NFL players come from? They come from college. And a lot of them come from Alabama and the SEC. And he torched Alabama both with his arm at times and with his legs. So I think he's got a lot of potential where even if, you know, these guys may take a while to adjust to the NFL game, they have the physical tools to overcome that. And then obviously Michael Penix Jr. where he's got insane clutch gene. Like you've seen him in these big time games really pull through and make some outstanding plays. He is not afraid of anything. Tremendous downfield accuracy. 
He reads defense as well. His mechanics are pretty, you know, all over the place. You, you don't like how his arm looks, but frankly, with a quarterback, it's not about how it looks. It's about what's comfortable for them and what allows them to perform uh, uh, optimal level. And I think that panics, it doesn't look great, but that's what works for him. He needs to tighten up the footwork, but he can still make it work with that footwork, which is good. With him, He's also more athletic than he gets credit for. With him, the big concerns are injuries. Like with Daniels, the big concern is that he's going to get himself hurt because he's got this hero complex and takes massive hits as a, as a pretty skinny guy. And then with Michael Penix Jr., it's that all it takes is like one time for him to fall on his shoulder the wrong way. And it could really impact his career because he's already had, I think he uh, tore both of his ACLs and he, uh, and he like, I think he's had surgery on his shoulder, had the same injury on the same shoulder or something like that. Significant uh, injury history. Age is a concern, but honestly, with a quarterback, you can play till you're 40 if you're protected well. All these guys are going to need better supporting cast. Like, if you get these guys, you need to make sure they're coming into a space where they have one or two receivers they can really trust and good protection in front of them. So I think any one of those guys truly can become the face of your franchise. One, I, you know, Drake May, I don't know as much about as just a person, but anything I've seen from Jaden Daniels and Michael Penix, like their teammates love them. They are really good representatives of their teams. Uh, so I think if you get any one of those guys, I think you're in really good shape going into the future. And I think that even if it does take a year or two for the offense to really find its rhythm, you know, same thing happened with Tom Brady once again. Bill himself said that Tom Brady took a couple years, and this is actually it was three years because he was a rookie in 2000. It took him about three years to really become someone that NFL defenses knew they had to account for in fear. Um, and I think any one of these guys, especially with their physical talent, when you talk about a Drake May or a Jaden Daniels, are one of those guys where you're going to have to fear just because they're one play away from killing you. So who is the guy if, <laughs> let's say in a universe where Bill Belichick remains the coach, who's mm -hmm. his type of guy? Um, I think panics. He just seems like a guy. Really? That, uh, injuries aside, he just so seems like a What do you do in this situation? Mm. What do you do in this situation? Like, this is where it gets interesting if you're the Patriots, right? Like, I never... What we know is nobody knows anything, right? Because there's a bunch of people who thought Zach Wilson was great. There's some people who thought Mac Wilson should have been, I mean, Mac Jones should have been three. Some people thought Trey Lance was automatic. Some people thought, I don't know about this guy. People are wrong all the time with the can't miss quarterback prospects all the mm -hmm. time. So mm -hmm. all I know is you want to have two things, faith in the person making the decision, which we're not sure whether or not we do or don't. Um, mm -hmm. but, and that doesn't matter if it's bill or a new hire it, you have to like, is there any, how many people out there who do this job? You're like, yeah, this guy's going to pick a winner here. It's not proven, but you want to know that they love a guy right above all else and know that they can get them. What you don't want is I think what happened with the Patriots last time, which is, I don't know if max there 15, maybe we'll take him unless we like another guy better. I don't, this, this is a draft where, you know, you need a quarterback, but like, yeah. if you know, your quarterback is Penix, are you playing this game or are you taking him at three? For example, like, what do you do if you're the Patriots? Yeah. Do you try to get, do you try to get cute and grab a guy who I, who knows by the time mock draft season is over, Penix could be going four or five. I've seen him anywhere from eight to, to, to the top of round two. So mm -hmm. nobody knows where the hell these guys are going right now. In fact, Daniels, just flew up the boards to the top three or four pick in mock drafts, which again, who knows what people think. But if you've got your guy and you're certain you want him, you want to go get him, but you also want to maximize the board, right? What do you do yeah. if you're the Patriots here? What if you, what if your guy, what if you love a guy you think you can get lower? Do you gamble 
and get scooped on it? Or do you take a guy 10 picks, 10 picks ahead of where you think he would go just because this is going to be what's really interesting here. Like, are they going to love the guys we think are consensus? Or do you, what if they, what if they love like Mac Jones to San Francisco was the perfect example, right? Like nobody thought Jones was a top three pick except maybe one guy. And it, I guess went down to the wire, right? Like, yeah, I, I think that Jaden is and, probably like if you're, if you're talking about you have the third pick, I just, I'm not Nicks, sure you, whoever, no, if, no, I'm no, 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 no. If your guy is Knicks, if your guy is Penix, and you think you can get him later, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what you do here. Do you start to take some? Do you tar- you start to take some uh, gambles and try to move around and maximize? Because again, not to go back and belabor the earlier point you need freaking everything and impact players at receiver tackle and quarterback typically you have to take early and right now you've got two picks one presumably for a quarterback and then one at the top of the second round where you can probably still grab a very high quality touted guy with possibly even a low first round grade there too or the flexibility to move up but in terms of blue chip talent you got two cracks at it next year and you need five six seven different things so that might be a smart thing to dance around the board yeah, offensively, I think like you don't mess around. I think you get the face of your franchise because you haven't had one. You thought Mac might have been that in year one, and then in year two you started to say, all right, yeah, like he's in a tough position, but it's not looking like he's really the guy. Um, and on top of that, I think it'd be good, like a guy like Jaden Daniels. I like him. I think Jay, I think you know Caleb Williams and Drake May. You can open up the playbook a little bit and get them involved in the run game. But I think Jaden, like everything is at your disposal. I think you can open up, like we've already seen what Bill O'Brien could do with the Deshaun Watson, where he was able to maximize his athleticism and really put defenses in tough spots. I think that he is the best pick because one, you've seen him do it against top defenses consistently. And that's the really big thing. He's also like Belichick loves experienced quarterbacks. He's a fifth year starter. He's seen a ton of different defenses. So I, I said Penix, just because I do think he's smart. I think he shows a lot of things that you like. But I also think that, you know, even if he does sneak into the top 15, maybe even the top 10, I think he's going to be top 15. Even if he sneaks into the top 10, I think there are still, like, the athletic limitations relative to the other prospects, as well as the injury history, is going to, you know, if I think he's the guy that you take when those top three guys are off. Because it's like these seem like guys where their ceilings are really high and their floors, based on what we've seen, are also pretty high. I remembered it. Ben hmm. Johnson turned down the Colts. That's who it was. Ben Johnson okay. turned down everybody last year for that for, for that okay. exact reason. He didn't like the okay. situation. But also, but that's but that's understandable because the Lions had like a juggernaut, which he turned down Carolina. He turned down Carolina and the Colts, <laughs> who were, who were going to get top picks at quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. He did exactly. Also, Jimmer, I, I also wonder how much that had to do he with. He actually did exactly <laughs> what Jimmer because Jimmer and David Tepper are not nearly as attractive as Robert Kraft, who's going to give you but control he, and get it back off. I, I I was I, I for some reason I for some reason I went back two years. Johnson did exactly the same thing with two teams in similar situations to the Patriots last year. But anyway, yeah, I, and also I do think ownership is a big part of that as well. Because Robert Kraft, he has a track record of being like, "Hey, I'll give you the ship. Like, just don't mess it up, and you can do what you got to do." I'm just gonna I'm a fan. I just want to be here and watch, and I will give you the like. Everybody likes to act like Kraft is cheap. I don't think that's the case. I think that Robert Kraft would give Bill or whoever as much money as they needed or as many resources they needed to make football team better um but yeah again to the quarterback point i think daniels is the guy um i I still need to watch more and this is also because i don't think 
Um, I mean, it's all ifs and coulds. Like, we're talking about the future that we don't know yet. I'm trying to, you know, be as grounded as possible, but I also think that when you actually have high round picks, whereas the Patriots are usually right in the middle where they can't get the elite of the elite, I think you're in a range where you can get some elite talent. And I think that is like a Jaden Daniels and a Drake May. And with all of these guys, like, we always talk about the quarterbacks who don't succeed in all these things. The most important thing is what you're surrounded by. So at the end of the day, you still need to build a strong offensive line. You still need to give this guy at least two receiving threats and a good run game so that he's not doing everything by himself and has to develop the superhero complex like we've seen with Drake May at NC State or uh, North Carolina, like you see with Caleb Williams at USC, or these guys know that if they don't make certain plays, they're not going to win because their supporting cast aren't good enough to keep them in games. Whereas like a Jaden Daniels doesn't really have that because he had the talent and he could actually play within the structure of the offense and then, you know, go outside of it when he needed to. So I think he has less of the yips or like less potential for the yips than do those other guys. Does, does and it, he's probably a guy you're going to be able to get. Well, does it feel like Drake may is the, like the, not that he doesn't have a skill set. Does he seem at this stage as the highest likelihood to ruin your life quarterback where like he looks like it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck but it's not a duck you know like he's he's one of those types of guys because again everything i've read about him is looks the part right has that mobility can make some big time throws you know can can improvise can throw off platform can use his legs has pocket maneuverability but maybe not the greatest presence and you know accuracy can work and he's not as good with his lower body and he can't do this and that and like it's like the butts are always a little concerning which is like but still kind of figuring out the whole quarterback thing you know and at the end of the day it's going to come down to flavor like i'm not saying i'm right in this you can absolutely debate me and you might be right you're not you're not right but nobody's right i think it really is just what you like what your preferences and you're more likely to be right than a lot of people I I think what he is, is like, if you're comfortable with Josh Allen, who isn't the size of a linebacker, like Drake May is a big dude. He's not that big, but if if you're cool with like like a Josh Allen, I'm just saying like Josh Allen's like, he's 250. Like Josh Allen is rare where he has like more Cam Newton in terms of like, he'll truck a linebacker. If Drake May is in front of a linebacker, I want him sliding with Josh. I'm like, all right, maybe you throw your shoulder down. If it's like, you got to have the yards. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're comfortable with like a Josh Allen, we're like worst case scenario, he's a super talented guy who can, you know, take on a game or flip the script of the game in a second, but also is going to make some probably really bad mistakes. Josh Allen just can threw also a make horrible, up them. Josh Allen really? just threw a horrible interception as we're talking about. <laughs> that's hilarious. So, well, yeah, so it's a like, horrible, you know, that's the risk you want. red zone interception. Yeah. Josh Allen's also perennially in the in the uh, he's perennially in the playoffs or at least contender to be. So you know that gets you to a different place. And these are all different players. Like Josh just has this thing in his head where he cannot shake that hero complex. And then you're hoping that you know. And I don't know this. I'm I'm not trying to say that they're gonna. I don't like to presume that a guy's bad habits are just going to evaporate. But, you know, at the end of the day, when guys get better, like a Patrick Mahomes, it can be a Josh Allen where you never really learn to stop doing the dumb things. Or it can be Patrick Mahomes where you realize, okay, which, again, Andy Reid is a big part of this, where you realize, okay, I need to play within structure. And eventually you realize, yes, I can still be an athlete, but it's better for me and my team if I do what I'm supposed to do within the first two and a half seconds of the play. And you never know, you know, whether or not a guy's going to latch onto that or not, that's that's part of the game. But it helps based on who he's surrounded by. I think Bill O'Brien is still a very good quarterback coach. But I also think that when you have Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi who don't have a good offensive line and don't have a lot of guys they can trust to throw to, 
I mean, even Zappy, like what he, I will still say, what he did with what he had, still pretty spectacular given the circumstances. Um, but like, if you put Jaden Daniels in that mix and you give him just a couple more guys who actually have some talent and somewhat scare at defense, I think that that's enough where O'Brien can really unlock the potential. Because again, we saw it like Deshaun Watson was an MVP candidate under Bill O'Brien, and Bill O'Brien was the one building that offense around him. Like he's, I think he, I think he was responsible for Laramie Tunsil. I'm pretty sure he's one of the best left tackles in football. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's still a flavor thing, but I think that if you give Bill O'Brien the pieces that he needs, um, and I, this is under the presumption that he stays, I don't think he's in any rush to leave. He hasn't. He's. I. If he's really hinting more than he's going to stay, than the opposite. Um, I'm really dubious yeah. that O'Brien's here next year. I mean, I think it's also more of a family thing. Like I think his family's here. He's got roots here. And he's already done that. He's done the college thing. He just got out of college. He's done the NFL head coach thing. I don't know how quick he, quickly he wants to just up and leave and start uh, totally fresh. Plus, if we're being very honest, there's a lot of candidates that would probably be ahead of him because of the newer age guys. And I've acknowledged, and I think that Bill O'Brien could do a better job creating space and using motion in kind of more modern ways. Like, he can definitely get better and improve, but I think it helps when you also have people that scare at defense and then you can evolve rather than having a completely different array of talent every single week. Let's play the what if game really quickly, just for a split second, okay? No, seriously, I'll ask you this. And again, you're confident that they can, you know, not if not in one fell swoop, that they can take big chunks out of their needs. I, I am not, in, not saying it's impossible. I think it's an extremely difficult thing to do to address every problem they have. But let's play this game. Where would they be right now if they went all offense with first three picks last year? Where would you be? If you went with flowers and a tight end and uh, and say a second receiver, one, two, three, and you didn't have Gonzalez, but and you didn't have the other two players, how much better shape would they be in overall right now? If Mac actually had protection, I think because you saw it in the first two games, I think that was what the offense could have been where like you saw Mac putting them in position to succeed. And then he either didn't get protection on game winning drives or like Kendrick Bourne's dropping the big pass on the long conversion where Matt like threads the needle. I think if you have those things, you get yourself into the, like maybe the wild card. And I think you win a game if it's a good matchup. I don't think that they're going to the championship. I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think they're – I think they're probably going to lose to Baltimore pretty handily. But I do think it's a team where you're saying, okay, there is some fight, and this is a team that can win when they get into the first round of the playoffs. Um, And then, you know, if you were there, you build on that and you say, okay, we keep adding firepower, and then we kind of shore up the things that were wrong. So I I absolutely think this could have been at least a wild card team um, if they had actually managed to, you know, surround Mac with talent. And we've already seen yep. what they could do without Gonzalez. So, and like, you know, Keon White and Marte Mappu weren't big enough difference makers that you take them off the defense and it's like, oh no, it's everything's, I, I think it's like virtually the same, save for maybe a few key moments. Yeah. So I'll throw this one last n- tidbit out there for everyone else. Now there is a faction of people, a faction who want, uh, and who, there's uh, plenty of people who think the overall best player in here is Marvin Harrison Jr. And there's a mm-hmm. faction of people who actually think like three's not so bad, man. Let Williams and and May go and take 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 Marvin Harrison. I think that's great, and I think he's amazing, and I think he's all world. But I think that's like you know buying a Ferrari when you don't have like a, a roof over your head. You know, like yeah. I I I don't know what you do. I I really do think you have to build inside out 
and and while I have every single year of my life wanted them to take receiver, 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 receiver. After quarterback, they've got to get they got to shore up the line. They have to get tackles. And I don't know how you pass on quarterback at in the in this range when you're just it's hard to get into this range again. Is there a world in which you can talk yourself into Marvin Harrison Jr. and then living with either a veteran quarterback or taking a swing in round two? Yeah, no, I've I've been I'm in the exact same boat as you because like I I think the best example you could think of where like a team drafted a receiver when they should have gotten a tackle was uh, Jamar Chase with Joe Burrow. And one, that was just kind of a very different situation where Burrow has like generational pocket presence, poise, all these things. And then he also had an instant connection with Jamar Chase because they already played with each other for several years. And even then, you see Joe Burrow got the crap kicked out of him uh, over the past few years and then didn't even finish this season. So, yeah, I, I, I don't I think you get elite receivers this early when the rest of your offense is good enough and you really need that one more piece in your passing game I think that they still do have to make up room at quarterback and tackle those are two positions that you rarely get in position to take good players like that and it's really rare to even find players who are good whereas a receiver I think like you saw with Tank Dell if if you scout well or like Puka Nakua if you scout these guys well you can get a stud in the middle round. So yeah, I, I, I would love Marvin Harrison Jr., but they have way, way, uh, not way, obviously it's two positions, but yeah, like those are two key positions they need to address before they get any, uh, any receivers. And this is again, and this is where I find myself kind of my, my two things dovetailing into one uh, that my draft rage with not addressing offense, plus how massive this rebuild is and not being able to do it all at once because you look all over this board and you're like, man, I could, uh, I could dig neighbors too. And I could get this guy. And you know, I, there's a lot of guys I think would be great Patriots and you're up high and you're like, we could have any of them, but the reality is you can only have one and it has to be quarterback because you messed that up and you got to start all over. And the worst place that you can be is where the Patriots are right now. Year three of a rookie contract and realizing you drafted the wrong guy and worse off realizing you didn't surround him with talent with the, when you had the resources to do it. And that's the, that's where it kills me the most. If you, if you went, if you went deep and that's where I'm still saying like, I don't know why, how this is attractive because if they, the Patriots could have built around it. Right. And you could have just realized Max, not the guy, but Oh, geez. Like you got Tank Dell, you got this, you got that. You've got some pieces. Like you get somebody who can get them the ball. Oh my God, this could be something, but you don't have it. It's so depressing to think that, that you're starting at zero on it because you have to readdress the quarterback position. It's a tough spot to be in the NFL. It's the first time the Patriots have been here. And for a lot of fans, first time you've ever been here where it's like, oh, so the guy we took isn't great. And that happens and it happens over and over and over again. And there's a ton of teams stuck in that cycle and it's a rough place to be. Yeah. And I'll say once somebody in the comments said that I thought they were one receiver away. I literally, that's the opposite of what I just said. So clean the old ears out. But beyond that, I also think here's the the guy who said it. Taylor did not say it, but Taylor made it sound like, yeah. uh, Yeah. No, that's not what I said. They're a quarterback away. Where Taylor and I differed, where Taylor and I differed is he thinks they can take big swings with their cap space and draft mm-hmm. and address a lot of it next year. I think you got to bat a thousand and you're still going to fall short. So I do think it's, it, there's, the, there's, 
Yes. And here's where I'm optimistic because realistically, this is, I think, the best quarterback class we've seen in a while. Like, I don't think that there were a lot of guys where you were really, really confident in their pro. Like, if, you know, Justin Fields was debatable, but we're talking like Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones. I think all of those guys had some serious doubters. I think the top of this class has more guys where it's like, no, if you surround them with talent, you get them with a good mind, you can actually develop them well, they are probably going to be very good players. So I think. It sucks, but I think this is almost a blessing in disguise because, one, they're rarely in position to get a guy like who they can get now. And then I also think these guys are more talented than anybody they could have gotten since Brady retired. So I just think this is a really different position than they've ever been in where they actually have the capital to not only adjust these positions but actually get them with really talented players who you can be confident in building around in the future. And that's the big thing for me is I know it stinks. The season was awful and that, you know, you didn't surround Mac with talent, but realistically, like I'm not, I'm not so upset with Mac not being the franchise, the face of the franchise. I'm not really all that upset about it. I, I much like these guys and, and especially this could be next year. We're like, maybe Shadour is pretty good. And like probably Quinn Ewers is going to declare But like next year's class isn't very good either. This could be the best quarterback class we see in several years. So I think they're in pretty good shape and you know, it stinks when you have to go through a season like this, but I think they're in better shape than, you know, people might, might think. Yeah. L- last question I'll throw out here. Let's say they absolutely know they want something and this is the, and they know they want one guy and they want to go get them at three. And again, you can do that from three. You saw teams move up. You know, what the 49ers, I believe, to get up to three to take Lance moved up from 12 and had to give up 29 maybe in a future first. Quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But that's to move up from 12. From three to one is less. But you're still going to have to give up something. What would – if you knew you wanted one – because we haven't talked about Caleb Williams because we assume he's one. Is he your end-all, be-all, number one? If you can get him, you get him and worry about the rest later? If there's like one, I don't think he's so much better than the other guys that you have to give up. What would be significant draft capital? Like, okay, so we're talking about if you draft a tackle well and you draft a receiver well, would I rather have Drake May or Jaden Daniels in a first round receiver the next year? Or would I rather have Caleb Williams and then like a second or third round receiver? I'd rather have Drake May or Jaden Daniels with a first round receiver the next year. That's how I think about it. Okay. And there we have it. Uh, So we agree on some things. They have some work to do. Yes. We're we're curious whether or not the Patriots either will look to or could attract the top name of the coaches out there. What we didn't say is, do any of them, you know, we, we're debating whether or not they would want to come here, and that's what we spent a lot of the show on. Do, do you want one of those guys? Like, if Ben, do you, again, so this is where I come from, and we're not to say, um, uh, defensive-minded coaches can't have success because we've seen it. Um, and we talked about, you know, what's going on with the Texans. And, you know, Mayo's got a good pedigree. Obviously, Pierce is someone we didn't mention, but also another linebacker who oh, stepped yeah, right in yeah. there and did yeah. really well in Vegas, but, you know, in kind of like leader of men sort of way. I'm always very – I'm always a little dubious with defensive-minded head coaches only because they have to – like, it's an offensive – forward league right now and when you have an Andy Reid or a McDaniels or a Shanahan 
It's their system that's filtering out. In the same way with Belichick, his defense trickles down to everybody around him, but he's the guru. So you're always confident in the defense, regardless of the defensive coaches, but you got to rely on other people to implement the other side of the ball and their systems and their different things. So in this day and age where, where there's such a premium on offense and where we've seen them ignore it, I don't love the idea of the defensive the, the coach with a defensive pedigree here. I, I think it's important. I think two things are kind of, they're not automatic, but more important now than they've ever been. A, a quarterback who is mobile enough to at least be able to escape the pocket, make off-platform throws, keep plays alive, especially with the crap O-line play these days, and just also just how important it is to have somewhat of a dual-threat quarterback. Mm-hmm. And two, I think an offensive-minded head coach is really important. Um, I don't know whether you agree with that, but is there someone out there where you're like, yeah, man, I would hand the keys to Ben Johnson right now or whomever? Not really, because like we talk about the risk of hiring a new head coach, and it's not just about building an offense. It's about leading a team. And that's where I just I, – I kind of have paused because Gerard is just – it's such a clear – like it makes so much sense, and this is someone who already has respect and relationships. And I know that's not exactly the topic of the conversation, but I am kind of hesitant to bring in offensive guy who doesn't have any connection with the team. And the guys who are currently on the market don't – other than Josh McDaniels, who like, no, flat out no. Other guys don't really have any any ties to the Patriots. It's so going to be McDaniels. <laughs> but like we're talking about a guy who would come in and bring in like a whole different system. So I like, would it be cool to have Ben Johnson? Yes. But I also think that at the end of the day, the talent is what matters. And if you have like an incompetent or like a really inexperienced offensive coach, like what the Eagles are dealing with this year, I think that's where like, yeah, you have some pause, but I don't think Bill O'Brien has been doing this for a very long time. So, and again, I, I understand that you're asking if I want to bring guys in, I guess my bottom line is like, no, nah, there's not really anybody who, if they brought in, I wouldn't have significant reservations. I would love to see somebody come in and implement a really good system and then build a great relationship with the quarterback. But I also think a great quarterback can elevate their offensive coordinator as long as they have a strong foundation and talent around them. But I, so, under, I understand the hesitation, though. I completely do. I just I, – I'm not super comfortable with the idea. I, I, if, I, if you move on from Bill, I want every trace of Bill gone out of the building. And that's not a knock on Mayo. You defense? I, even on defense, I, I want it all. I want. I want the look. Can some people survive? Sure, but I think you need. You can't have prominent level people survive here. I think if you're bringing in a coach to 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 start all over, they're starting from scratch. The last thing I want is institute like. The I don't think the crafts want that though. I don't. I cannot I, see them. And that's my out. worry. Is my biggest worry is the crafts are going to pull what the Red Sox did and uh, hire their coach and then go get a GM that's comfortable working with them. And I really do feel like Mayo is a is a very strong well, candidate. To but take you're getting over rid here. of Gerard Mayo, DeMar- Demarcus Cullington, and Mike Pellegrino like that. That sounds horrible to me. And if the Belichicks want to stay, if Steve and Brian want to stay, you want to get rid of them? Those I'm are saying whatever's going, on inside, whatever's going on inside those walls that has dozens of people scurrying to go give reports about what they don't like, you got to make sure you eradicate as much of it as possible. And I really don't want institutional thinking or anything left over from the previous regime. If you're going to build an entirely new thing, an entirely new culture, I really do think – I think Gerard Mayo suffered from how bad this went the succession plan of belichick even you know not great but winning eight nine ten getting them to the playoffs games 
and moving on and handing the keys to Mayo when he was ready to move on made sense. Handing the keys to a Belichick disciple who's learned everything he knows about coaching under Bill Belichick and say, here, do it totally different. That's scary as F to me. Well, we're also talking about a guy in Mayo who is a very different person. And I also think and smart as hell. And, and I know him personally. And that's, and also I assuming, Gerard Mayo. and that's also assuming that they're not like, he's not going to improve and learn from Bill's mistakes. Cause Bill's mistakes, are out there public everybody knows about him and Gerard can not only take the lessons he learned from Bill that were positive but also be like these are things I don't want to do because I saw my future Hall of Fame head coach make horrible missteps yeah. that cost us a lot of our, our legitimacy I love Gerard Mayo. Like I, I got to know him a little bit in our post playing in his post playing career before he went to coaching. He worked with us over at NBC. He was on Quick Slants. He was an instant star. He's the, one of the funniest dudes I've ever been around. Incredible magnetic personality. People just want to be around him all the time. Smart as hell. Can do anything. So I think he can do a lot. I just don't know if here is the right spot anymore because of all of the stank of what's happened in and around him right now. So again, Taylor's got to get moving because we've got, he's got to finish uh, putting a, a bow on everything that happened uh, today in Foxborough. And also we have to brace ourselves from what could be uh, a, a massive, massive day uh, yeah. for the Patriots tomorrow, which we don't know. Uh, I guess, again, I'll just put it up here. What we do know is they're meeting tomorrow. What we also do know is at this moment in time, business as usual uh, in Foxborough, Bill Belichick is just giving a press conference. Mac Jones is supposed to talk. They're just going through the motions tomorrow as if everything is normal. And I don't get the feeling that like a hammer is falling at like on a, bl a Black Monday firing here tomorrow. I'm not sure what your vibe is. I don't think we're going to hear anything until like Wednesday at the earliest because Black Monday, they're not going to want Bill to get caught up in the wash of that. Um, and typically when they make kind of big moves or announcements, it happens on the Wednesday after the season. So I think that's probably when we'll see it. All right, Taylor, you've been invited to a garden report. Um, if you want to come in there and, and, and bring some of the heat there. Um, but I want everyone to know Taylor and I do like each other. Um, yes. <laughs> well, I like Taylor. I don't know if Taylor likes me. I don't think I don't think I would be able to get as, as sincere or like as wild up if I didn't like you. I would just shut down. So I love you, buddy. Well, you did leave the frame a couple of times, but anyway, yeah. that was for my own mental health. Good energy, good energy, good energy, good energy. No, no good coaches coming here. I stay, I stand by this, Taylor, and we'll talk about it later. I, when we, I believe we're going to get reports over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, this person turned out an interview with the Patriots. This person, and I'm just going to sit there and like this. Nothing, nothing, nothing. But yes, I'd love to have you on the guard report regardless. Yeah, yeah I, I got to catch up on what's going on with the Celtics. I've been cool. very Patriots focused, but yeah. I no, we're, we're, we're good like that. Anyway, thank you guys for hanging out. Good group, good crowd um, to close out the season. Uh, I will tell you this as a pro two programming notes, and then I'm going to let Taylor go. One of them is Pat's Nation post game. They're coming up. They've been mm -hmm. listening to us yell here thinking like, would these guys shut the F up so we can do our show? Pat's Nation's going to put their bow on it uh, and talk about, uh, you know, the, the game. They're coming up at around 9.30, 9.45-ish, according to our super producer, Amit. So um, check them out. Also, we should tell you, tomorrow, no matter what happens, uh, we if there is news, 
bat signal flashes into the sky and Taylor and I will go live and we'll break it down in real time as we're kind of processing everything that's going on. So stay with us for updates. Follow Patriot CLNS on Twitter. Taylor Kyle's, of course, a terrific source of information, all things football, uh, following the Patriots and even beyond uh, the Patriots. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, subscribe to our YouTube channel. You get notified when we go live. We'll pop up and we'll break it all down uh, and hear what you guys have to say, and we'll kind of react together. One way or the other, we didn't spend any time on it. Last thing I want to say is it's all about you're a Patriots fan, and you're sitting here and you're thinking, I want it to be better. What's going to happen? What do we do with this? And there is major future considerations. Who's running the team? Who's making the draft picks? Uh, there's a lot that goes into that. The other scary thing is you're bringing in a new GM. Most people have already done their work already on the draft yeah. here. You're bringing in people cold. The whole thing is kind of a scary process, but we've spent literally no time talking about Bill and his legacy and how he's going to be remembered. And what I believe beyond all else is – all the stank here over the last couple of years will be forgotten fast and Bill Belichick will be regarded as an absolute king in Foxborough for everything that he did. I know there's some animosity that some people have towards him and I know that the tide has turned a bit. If it is, in fact, the end of Bill, I know we'll spend a lot more time kind of talking about his legacy and what made him so great and why this is a really monumental thing beyond what's going on in a bunch of other cities right now where they're going to whack a coach who's been there for two, three years of like mediocrity or worse. This is a big, big, big deal. So we'll give Bill his due if that goes down. But obviously we didn't get into that tonight. So uh, again, thank you guys for hanging out. We will see you uh, tomorrow, I'm sure at some point. And then Taylor's going to keep pumping out the content. So make sure you follow his stuff.